I'm Daniel Frey and this is the Daniel Frey.me Talks, a podcast for anyone who wants to become or is already a developer. If you like to stay up to date with different technologies, learn from experts in the field and help you improve your career further, then this podcast is for you. I also invite you to follow us on DanielFrey.me. So let's begin. So hello, David. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's nice and early, ready to get working. <laughs> what time is it now there where you're so, at? Right now it is six, around 6.30 in the morning over wow. here in Florida. So good morning, David. It's uh, yeah. great, great having you today with me. I've been looking forward to talking to you. Um, so me and David actually met in uh, in Israel uh, when we were attending the React Conference event there. Um, so and today we're going to be talking about X State, right? That's right. So let's start, uh, David. Perhaps you can, uh, for those who don't know you, um, give us a small introduction about yourself, what you're doing. Uh, yeah, so I'm David Korshid, which I'm probably pronouncing my own last name wrong as I discovered in Israel, but uh, I go by David K. Piano online a lot, uh, and that's mostly because I really like playing the piano. I studied piano at university, and uh, yeah, I was a pianist, still am a pianist, you know, for most of my life, um, but yeah, I, my last name isn't piano, <laughs> so um yeah, shortly after college and actually during college, I I started studying um, computer science just because I always found computers really interesting. And so I, I took that as a career um, instead of piano because piano doesn't really pay that much. Um, but yeah, so I've been a developer for a little over 12 years, most recently at Microsoft. And now I'm starting my own thing called Stately. Nice. So... Um... You know, you're also the creator of XState, right? I am, yeah. So I created XState about six, maybe seven, all, yeah, almost seven years ago. And um, yeah, that, that was mostly just to scratch an itch with, um, you know, seeing if I could visualize application logic, just because I'm a very visual person. And when I was a junior developer, I just, you know, code and all of these if statements and nested if statements and spaghetti code, it made it really mm -hmm. hard to understand for me. So I was just like, I wish there was a visual diagram that right. I could see instead. And so that's, that's how X state was born. Nice. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about it. Um, if you had to put it in like, um, you know, the general idea of X state, what would it be? What is it? So the general idea is that it's not just state management, it's state orchestration. And what that means is uh, being able to not just have a container to hold and update your state, but to understand what are all the possible events and transitions for every state, what could happen throughout your app, and taking that and visualizing that as well. And so with that, it comes many benefits. First of all, Visualizing your app logic allows you to, um, you know, share it with the rest of your team. And um, it also makes your code more robust because you could see what happens in each state and what can't happen. Right. And so now that, you know, we kind of 
we understand the general idea of it, right? So it's not only the state uh, management part, but it's also then the visualization of it. Now, perhaps we can break those some of those things down. And mm-hmm. um, I would like to start with um, when we say, first of all, state management, uh, what do we mean by that? So state management, uh, I, I really like to refer to it instead as data management, but you could call it state management. Um, Basically, you have a container for your state. And so this container can be just any value that's relative to your application, such as uh, who the current user is. Maybe you're keeping track of the counts of something. Maybe you're keeping track of just a lot of data. And in the course of a user playing around with your application or your software doing something, doesn't have to you know be with a user, uh, that state can update. And so... Uh, you know, with many state management solutions, there's just many ways to update it. You could update it directly or you could update it indirectly via an event. So uh, Redux really popularized this idea where you send an event to your state store and then a reducer inside will determine, okay, based on that event, I'm going to update the states this way or maybe a different way. Um, so yeah, that, that's what's meant by state management is a store for your state, and a way to update it. All right. And, you know, another term that I hear a lot in terms of X-State was the the state machines part. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps we could dive in a little bit further to what are those state machines and how come is it so popular that whenever I looked into X-State, that was like one of the first things that I've seen. Yeah, so state machines sound like a scary concept, but it's not really a scary concept. You could think of it just as a um, like a very fancy switch statement. I I know that's oversimplifying it, but a state machine is a finite number of states, and these states could be like just to make a practical example. When you're loading data, you could either be in the state of not loading it yet, it loading, and then from there, it could either succeed or it could error. And um, so a finite state machine defines those finite states. And you can think of states as behaviors. Now, the example I like to give of what is a finite state or a behavior is um, it is a, well, it's a state obviously, but it determines how you're going to react um, you know, to events. For example, you could be asleep or awake and you're going to react differently to events you know, based on whether you're asleep or awake, you're not going to react the same way. And another interesting point is that you can't be both asleep and awake at the same time. Right. So that's one rule of finite state machines is that, uh, you know, these states are mutually exclusive. Um, so yeah, there's states and there's also transitions. So transitions is how you get from one state to the other. For example, how do you get from idle to loading? Well, mm. the user says, I want to load this data. They click a button or they perform some sort of action that kicks off that fetch request. Uh, same thing from going to loading to success, loading to error, et cetera. And then we have um, you know, events. I, I mean, events cause those transitions, but each state defines which transitions are outgoing from those states. So for example, uh, from idle, if the user clicks a button to load the data, they go into the loading state, but that transition might not be on the loading state. And this is actually very important because I'm sure you've seen like 
have you ever been on a slow app and you saw a button that says like, you know, click this to load something. And so mm. now it's loading, but you're like, ah, this is taking a while. So for some reason you click the button like 20 times and it ends up making yeah. 20 different API requests. So with a finite state machine, that's actually impossible because the transition is only defined on the idle state, not the loading state. Um, so in a nutshell, that's just what a state machine is. It's a way of restricting events to states and also being able to visualize that entire flow. So for the promise example, you could visualize we're in idle, we could go to loading if the user clicks a button, and then we could go to success or error depending on what the API returns. And then from there, we could even look at it and be like, hey, we could uh, you know, add more transitions. Like from success, we could transition back to loading if we want to reload the data. Or from loading, after a timeout period of like 10 seconds, we could just automatically transition to error and say, hey, we timed out. And I honestly wish that more apps have this feature because sometimes they load forever and they don't have that transition. Right. So this sounds really interesting. And I, and I think like um, state machines in general is, is not really, an, I guess, a new concept, right? It's no. specific to X state, right? No, it's actually a very old concept. In fact, it dates um, prior to the 1950s, I want to say. So this thing is almost a century old and uh, state machines are actually responsible. Like you cannot build a computer or any microelectronic, like a microprocessor or something like that mm -hmm. without state machines. State machines are very Building fundamental. Lux. Yes, they're very fundamental to embedded electronics and even up to computers. You could think of our computers as giant state machines. So state machines are a very fundamental concept. Um, state mm -hmm. charts, on the other hand, uh, they were invented in 1989 by David Harrell, also uh, an Israeli uh, professor. Uh, computer scientist. Um, and I, I almost got the chance to meet him <laughs> in, wow. uh, you know, in uh, Israel, but maybe next time. Um, but yeah, needless to say, these things are absolutely nothing new. They're very, very, very old. So you're describing a little bit now the, right, we were describing the fundamentals and the general idea of X state and the building blocks of it. And I'm wondering, like, what made you, uh, David, specifically use uh, like the the method, the methodology, or the way of working of state machines in X state, and not something else? Well, so um, there there was actually this great talk called um, I, I forget what it's called. It's by Rich Hickey, Simple versus Easy. And so I guess the easy approach would be you either directly manipulate states or you have a simple reducer or something like that, where it's just whenever this event happens, maybe have a few if statements in there and then update the states. Um, mm -hmm. But that, that didn't give you the overall picture. I think the reason that like, you know, I have this methodology of working with state machines instead of something that's easier um, is because I wanted simple understanding of the logic and I wanted a way to communicate that with non-technical people as well. And so this is something that uh, other developers who have been working with X8 have also told me is that, of course, they could use something easier. There's always an easier state management library. And sometimes you don't even need a state management library. Just update the data yourself. But that doesn't make it um, that doesn't make it uh, simple to uh, to share with the rest of your team. 
So uh, by by mm-hmm. doing it this way, you automatically have like this visualization and also this higher level understanding of how the application logic changes over time based on events. And I think that's really valuable because mm-hmm. that's just a lot less documentation you have to write. It's just show them the state machine and then they could follow the boxes and arrows. It's it's really not that complicated of a uh, visual paradigm to uh, to understand. Um, yeah. Right. So basically saying that um, the benefit that you get from the state machines is that visualization, the way mm-hmm. that you can explain it later on to your to other people that are not necessarily developers as well. So because you can show them the whole process of it. And and that seemed like a, a, a very good reason to to why the X state is, is using this um, way of working now. Yeah. Is there any other libraries or state management uh, that use the idea of state machines that you know of? Yeah, there is. So there have been um, some other uh, libraries. So I'm trying to think in the general web space. Um, hmm. So, yeah, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Uh, So there is uh, Redux. And so Redux it's not exactly a state machine, but actually there is a part in the Redux guides where it says as a tip to treat your reducers as state machines. And I, I actually wrote that tip and I uh, suggested it to Mark. And so thankfully he merged it in. Um, he, he's a fan of thinking in terms of state machines too. Um, and you can model your reducers as state machines. One of the biggest differences is that uh, Redux doesn't enforce it, and XState, of course, does enforce this. So I would say Redux comes close. Um, Zustand, I believe it's pronounced, is even a little further away because it's just, you know, you have your states and your actions that update that state, but you can't strictly model that as a state machine. I think it's actually a little bit harder in Zustand, even though Zustand is... Um, yeah, from the surface, it looks easier to use. Um, other state machine libraries. I mean, there's there are others. Uh, there's uh, one called Robots, um, but I'm not sure if that's maintained anymore. And in React specifically, there's a use state machine hook by Casio Zen, um, and that one is actually uh, very much inspired by X states too. So there right. are a few libraries that sort of you know a, a, approach. A state management from a state machine perspective and it, it, it's awesome that there are libraries like that right right oh, that's that's good examples and you know i'm wondering like if we think in terms of like promises in javascript mm-hmm. just to so, like to see if it's it simplifies the the state machines thing would you say it's a promise in JavaScript the way it works with the, you know, it's pending, you have the resolved, right? And if there is an error, you can catch it. You have all those different stages that it goes through. Would you say it's, it is kind of similar to the state machine uh, methodology? Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, there was this website a while ago uh, that described like just the like how promises work. And so promises are basically state machines. In fact, the way, sorry, the, the way that they're implemented is, you know, state machines. And so it's just those states that I was describing to you. They could be pending, fulfilled, or rejected. Those are the three main states. And because 
Yeah. Uh, promises when you create them in JavaScript, they're eager. There's no idle state. Uh, so you sort of have to do that yourself. But once you create a promise, pending, fulfilled, or rejected. Um, the interesting thing, though, is that a lot of people say like, oh, I don't need a state machine. I could just write async awaits code. And so by doing that, you're actually writing half of a state machine. Because think about this. Let's say that you're awaiting some promise. Um, how do you cancel that? How do you, um, you know, just do a timeout or whatever? Now you have to write a whole bunch of extra code on top of that. And, um, you know, uh, also, how do you restart a promise? Like there's all of these things where a, a promise you could think of as a very rigid state machine, uh, whereas if you were using an actual state machine, you could add transitions like adding a timeout, adding retries and whatever else you want on top of that. So, um yeah, it, it is essentially a state machine at the end of the day. And in fact, Babel used to compile it down to uh, state machines for older browsers, um, like for generators and promises and things like that. Awesome. No, it's good. And I, uh, well, today I, I now I learned like something new as well with the, <laughs> with the state machines thing. And uh, it, it kind of made sense to me whenever you were describing the whole process about uh, promises. And that's how it also brought it up into my head with that. Great. So, you know, we we spoke about uh, again the general idea, and even diving now to the to state machines and uh, a bit more further what it is. And I wanted to. I was wondering, like, uh, from your perspective, is like, you know, you said the idea of creating exit was because you wanted to have something like visualization that you can mm -hmm. show it to your team and everything, right? Was yeah. that was that the main idea or was there any anything else like the that was behind it? Um so the two main purposes of state machines and state charts for me, um, you know, besides the visualization, number one, it's that collaboration aspect. So we talked about sharing it with your team, but the other thing is robustness. And so um this is uh, you know, when when I was programming without state machines or X state or anything like that, I ended up writing a lot of if conditions, like, you know, those if statements and uh, things like that, just to prevent like, okay, we know that there's a very good chance that this event won't happen uh, when these Boolean flags are true, but there is a chance that it could happen. So you write an if statement to prevent that. For example, if a promise is loading, you sort of trust that the user won't keep pressing the loading button, or you say, you know what, we could just disable sorry, disable the loading button, um, but you, you, you can't trust that. Like what if the UI changes and the next developer forgets to add a disabled attribute? So you write an if statement to be like, okay, if it's loading, then this button shouldn't do anything. And then all of a sudden your event handlers are really long. So I think the robustness really, um, you know, really uh, is a huge benefit because uh, you could eliminate impossible states and impossible transitions just from the design of the state machine without having to write tons and tons of if statements and defensive code. Right. So then it also covers the uh, that idea for uh, having the robustness that you mentioned it. And the, when you say robustness, you just how how do you exactly mean it then in in your terms? Yeah. So, so robustness means that um, you can basically prove that it's not going to um, end up in an incorrect state. For example, a traffic light, I'm sorry, I'm saying so many examples today, but a traffic light 
you um you yeah yeah you all right so imagine a traffic light uh it goes from green to green yellow or however it is in um in tel aviv <laughs> where we met it so in the united states it goes from green to yellow to red and then um it goes from red to green and so that is the exact order that it happens now you could program this in one of two ways. You could add if statements, be like, oh, if it's green and then, you know, this happens, this timer happens and go to yellow. Um, but uh, you could also program it as a state machine. And so having a state machine, you could prove that it's never going to go directly from green to red. With a bunch of if statements, that's a lot less clear. So robustness means that you can be certain that it's not going to get into that impossible state. Whereas with a bunch of if statements and defensive programming, it's, it's not too clear and you cannot guarantee it. You have to basically write a lot of tests in order to guarantee it, but the robustness isn't built into your code. Right. So it gives us uh, like the, this benefit, um, I guess. It, and I also like I hate it whenever I have this code um, that I'm writing and I like the definition that you gave with defensive code. I always think like, oh, this a lot of uh, like statements or if statements and it's not clean. Like, in my opinion, it looks like a uh, defensive. That's a good yeah. word. So indeed, uh, I think that's uh, that's uh, also a good point. Um, mm -hmm. So great for sharing that and a good example as well with the with the traffic light. I like that. <laughs> Thanks. That's good. So now I'd like to ask you a um, few questions uh, like uh, in a more, you know, like your personal uh, way of experiencing it. And David, what are you most proud of in X-State? What I'm most proud of? I think I'm honestly most proud of... Uh, well, first of all, like the, the visual utilities, like creating a visualizer for state machines or any sort of visualizer is not an easy task. But um, I think that's like the number one thing that people have told me has sold them is because if if there wasn't that visual part, then it would just be a slightly more complicated way of managing state. But that visual part is really the selling point for state machines and state charts. And I think I'm also proud of... Um, I guess just convincing so many people to uh, to actually use this, especially in production. Large and small companies use this, and that's you know I'm really proud of that. So the impact that you had on people, and as well as the uh, the ability to make it make it so easy with the visualizer part. And when you're talking mm -hmm. about visualizing, um, how can you? Um, how can you visualize it? How do you have to use like, is it just built in X state or do you have to use an external tool for that? Yeah. So um, early on, you could basically copy and paste your machine definition to a separate website that visualized it. And it, you know, it, it just shows the visual. So it's very straightforward. Uh, however, we introduced X state inspect about a couple of years ago. And so that, uh, lets you specify dev tools true in your um, in your state machines uh, when you're interpreting them, and you do some setup at the top. Just call inspect, and then maybe put a URL to show it where to uh, where to open the window, and um, it will automatically open that state machine of your live running application um, in a separate window. And eventually, we're going to be working on browser dev tools, but uh, not yet. That's a work in progress. Um, 
But yeah, so as you're playing around with your application, you see the state machine on the right to update. And so you see various dates highlight and you get in a, a log of all the events that happen. So if you played around with the Redux step tools, it's like that, but you get a lot more because with the Redux step tools, you get the current state, maybe the past dates and the events. Um, with, uh, with inspecting a state machine, you get the actual logic visualized. So you can know not only where it came from, but where it could have possibly gone and where it's going next. It's like having the mm. entire map. Right. Yeah. And that is because of the power of state machines because of that, right? Because it's so, you can say robust and then it's so like you have this clear way of working with every single action and, and thing that you're doing. Right. And also uh, with state machines, the logic is declarative. So that's why we could send that over the wire as JSON and visualize it. You can't do that with just raw reducer code. Um, or actually, it's really difficult to do because you're basically translating that to a state machine, which eventually we'll work on too. But uh, yeah, <laughs> not as easy to do. All right. And uh, another thing that I'm wondering is, uh, David, what if you could take back time now and uh, recreate X-State um, and do the whole thing again with the knowledge <laughs> that you have today? What would you do differently? Yeah, so there's there's a lot of areas that you know I could have probably improved. Um, Xate was actually written originally just to give you like a like take you way back in history. Um, it had Lodash as a dependency for some reason, and it was also primarily since this was uh, six or seven years ago, it was written in JavaScript first, not TypeScript. So TypeScript was sort of bolted on on top. So um, also, I added a lot of things to the API, which I thought would make it easier, such as being like, hey, if you only have one thing, then just put it there. If you have multiple things, you could put it in an array. You could define it as a string or a function or whatever, just having a very flexible API. But to many users, they actually say like, hey, it seems like there's many ways of doing things and I'm not sure which is the correct way. The examples show so many different ways. So I would probably uh, consolidate that down. Uh, so yeah, I would work on the typing and just uh, making the API uh, a bit stricter. Um, and also, I learned about the actor model after starting uh, XState, and I honestly wish I started with that because th this is for a whole other podcast, but the actor model is a very pow powerful way of understanding not only the logic of one thing, but how different things communicate with each other. Um, so just like microservices uh, or things like that. All right. Yeah. So that's that's nice to hear, uh, and uh, you made some learnings, and I suppose in every project that you start first, and later on you have to gain the insights and the experience. You you can wish that you could have done things differently, but mm -hmm. um, it's always good to have those insights. And I think with progress we learn, and uh, with failures we learn as well. So I think that's great. Now uh, I would like to ask you um, this. Uh, what say I'm starting an app now and mm -hmm. I'm considering to use a, uh, some kind of state management uh, library and I see XState and I see Redux. So which one would you choose? And uh, of course, we want to choose the right tool for the job and why? Yeah, so it really depends. Like if you already know Redux, then just keep on keeping on with Redux. Um, 
And uh, it, let's say it's you, a greenfield project. You can choose whatever you want. Yeah. So I mean, X state you could really think of as a superset of Redux. X state, uh, especially in a React app, it could be used at the component level. It could be used at the global level. Um, and so you could use it uh, however you want. And so unlike Redux, where uh, yes, you have like additional you, you know middleware and things like that. A lot of things in XState are built in, such as the handling of effects and also things like being able to tell what the next state is going to be given an event. And I don't talk about it too much, but um, it's really a powerful feature where you could disable a button just by saying, hey, if if submitting will not do anything, then this button should be disabled. Like it's as simple as that. You don't have to write a big, large uh, conditional. Um, right. So yeah, because you could basically write state machines almost the same way as you write a Redux reducer. You don't even have to think about finite states or transitions yet. You could just say, on this event, do this, on this event, do that. You could write it just like that. And then you could eventually refactor it so that it does look more like a state machine. That sounds good. And I think like for me, like hearing, you know, uh, from you and uh, more about XState, I, I really like the... Um, part that you mentioned about the visualization that you can do with xState compares to what you get with the uh, Redux, uh, you know, with the DevTools. Um, so I'm definitely going to have a look in that more and investigate there because it sounds really interesting. Now, uh, I also heard a little bird told me that you have a new company as well called Stately. <laughs> And I know that um, Stately is somehow getting into the picture with the XState. Uh, perhaps you can give us some lights on there and how does it actually get into the picture with XState? Yeah, so um, I started Stately. Actually, it, it grew out of XState and the tools that I was creating for XState. Um, Stately is a visual platform for modeling application logic. And so what that means is that Right now, when developers are planning, like, okay, how are things supposed to work together? Uh, we have to write user stories and documentation and make diagrams for all of this. This is all very haphazard. And sometimes there isn't even time to do this. So developers just go straight into coding and that's where things get messy. That's how you create legacy code. And so we really believe in the power of planning and modeling. And so that's why we want to make these visual tools where you're essentially creating diagrams in the easiest way possible. Just drag and drop. Uh, you have this nice visual editor for doing so. You could take these diagrams, you could share them with the rest of your team, uh, you could export them. But the cool thing is that these diagrams are, they're actually code that you could include directly into your apps. Um, and they're executable. So you could simulate them as well. You could tie them to your actual app and uh, visualize things like analytics and also inspect the current state of your app. Um, these are all things that we're working on and it's not going to be exclusive to just XState. Of course, if you use XState, then it's going to take advantage of 100% of the tooling, but we want to make this useful to any sort of state management developers are using and in the future, any language that developers might be using in their apps. Wow. 
that sounds really incredible. I think like this product is. Uh, I think I've seen some of uh, like your videos demoing it, uh, and I'm gonna of course in the description of this uh, episode, guys, put a link to this um, to everything we're talking about here. And uh, this is great. I think Stately um, is. If I look at it, it's like uh, the vis- visualization tool for Xstate, but then uh, not the one that you just get on Xstate, but then on like steroids like even crazier because yes. uh, you can even write code right using the vi- the visualizer so you don't have to actually um like actually type the code but you can just do it using the tool and the ui and everything if i understand correctly so mm-hmm. that's that sounds incredible yeah. so uh yeah i think uh, we got our point for this uh for this one it's been great having you, David. Thank you so much for your time and uh, and uh, everything. I think this is uh, definitely going to help some folks out there understand the idea of X-State and help me today to understand it more and the state machines idea. Um, and so anything that you would like to add or say, go ahead. Uh, yeah, just, um, you know, check us out at stately.ai. And of course, X-State is at xstate.js.org. Um and also, we have a Discord if you want to chat state management and uh, state machines and all that fun stuff at discord.gg slash xstate. Uh, I'm David K. Piano everywhere, and Stately AI is Stately AI basically everywhere as well. Thank you for listening to the Daniel Frey.me Talks. Get access to previous episodes, the transcript for today's show, as well as other exclusive content at Daniel Frey.me.